Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, music, faith, and community. Well, in the immortal words of Marshall Mathers, guess who's back? Back again. Uh, it is very good to be back with you all, um, and again, I am, I am just incredibly thankful that you've all trusted me yet again um, to assume this role, um, and I'm excited to continue our walkthrough that Jenna started last week of, of walking through Isaiah 61 and, and looking at what the good news is and, and what that truly means, what, what the gospel is. Um, so we're going to be stepping into the next two lines of Isaiah 61, verse 1. Um, and it says, um, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. And so what we're doing is we're just, we're looking at what good news is. That's what this whole focus of this series is, is just to rediscover God's vision, as it says, in, in what the good news and gospel means. And Isaiah 61 is giving us um, just a really good picture of that idea. It talks about in the beginning how the Spirit of the Lord has come for this good news, that the Spirit is, is involved in that. Um, but the thing is, and, and what I find interesting here is, is that the good news is not just words. Um, the good news that Isaiah is talking about is not just these non-tangible things, these stories, these words, but, but here in the second line, you see that that yes, there's words, you're proclaiming liberty to the captives, but you're also releasing the prisoners. There's action, something is being done. You're not just saying, oh, you know, we should do this, or oh, we're gonna tell them that, you know, release is coming. No, you are actively doing it. And I think that's what's so incredible about the good news, about the gospel that, that Isaiah has that's, that's mentioned in Luke 4 that we'll look at as well is it's not just a theoretical story. It's not just something that, that you tell people. The gospel is something that you do. It's a call to action. It's a call to physically work in the world, not just speak in the world. And, and I find this idea pretty interesting because for me at least, traditionally, uh, good news was, again, was the story that you tell. Good news is the story of Jesus and, and what Jesus did for us and did for me. Um, and, and we kind of see that in other areas too outside of, of just the scripture. Um, I remember a little over two years ago now when my oldest brother and his wife FaceTimed my wife and I, and, and there was just a little picture of, of a loaf of bread in an oven when they FaceTimed us. And we were so lost. We, were, we had no idea what we were looking at. Um, all of my family was together in Corpus, and it took us probably a good 15, 20 seconds of going, we have no idea what's going on, no one's talking to us, we're just staring at this bun in the oven. And then it hit us. And we were overjoyed with that news of, of hearing this good news of uh, that they were pregnant, that they were expecting the, the first niece on, on my side of the family. And, and that was life-giving. It was joyful. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that type of good news at all. 
but I, I just, I can't help but shake the feeling that here in, in Isaiah 61, this good news is something a little bit different. It's not just words. It's not just a joyful announcement. It's not, again, announcing that the prisoners are free. It is actively freeing them. It is getting them from where they are and moving them to somewhere new. Good news is a communication of something, yes. Um, but it is also action, and you can't separate the two. And so when we look here in Isaiah and, and also in Luke, um, kind of which type of good news is, is typically used here? Um, I'm curious for all of you, and, and obviously I won't be able to hear, but kind of what good news was talked about in your faith communities growing up or in your faith backgrounds. Again, as I said earlier, for me, it was the story of Jesus. The focus was just on communicating what was done for me and all of creation. It was tell them about Jesus, tell them the story, go out, um, walk them through the Roman road if you have to, but it's, it was all just a lot of tell and talk and speak. Um, and there wasn't much of a call to do or to be or to help. Um, and for me, as I got older and I started to look at this myself, um, I just felt a, simp of, a sense of separation here. Um, because you, you read stories and you look at what, what Jesus talks about and what that story of Jesus was doing. And, and yes, Jesus talks and he speaks and he teaches, but Jesus does things. Jesus is working. Jesus is active. Um, and I know that um, our experiences are a little bit different, that not everyone comes from the same backgrounds, but I will also say that a lot of my colleagues in seminaries and things like that come from and have those same similar ideas that, that the good news is a story and that, that it should be communicated, and we're actively working to change the perception of that. Um, but man, it just... The words here in Isaiah 61 are a lot more than just words. They're called to action. And something that's really cool is in Luke 4, as, as we mentioned last time, Jesus in the synagogue, um, he's, he's reading, um, asked to do the daily reading, and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah. And he reads this um, verbatim in Luke 4. So, so Isaiah 61 is, is in Luke 4 as well. Um, and so that's just a really interesting connection because you look at, if you kind of look at, look at the history of, of to get a little um, nerdy, if you'll give me a second. Um, so Isaiah 61 is considered to be kind of a, a post-exilic text or, or that the, the people of Israel had been in exile and are now returning. They're coming back and they're trying to make sense of what does life look like for us now? Something has fundamentally changed in our relationship to one another, in our relationship to the world, in our relationship to God, and how do we make sense of that? And then here in, in Luke 4, just before Jesus reads in the scroll in the synagogue, um, it talks about how he had just come back from his 40 days in the wilderness, that he had been separated, gone through the temptations or whatever you wanna call that. Um, it's just an interesting connection of, of a people coming back, trying to figure out 
who they are and what life will look like and Jesus coming back and, and really beginning his ministry, announcing the start of his ministry. Um, and so you just, you look at that and, and he reads this and then it goes through some different ministries that he was doing and, and then uh, Luke 4 ends with, with Jesus going out and, and doing these actions and then he goes out and he, he in, in the spirit of Shannon of, of creating new words, Jesus goes out and he gospels. He is gospeling or good newsing. Um, and these are odd words, right? Like to think about, like, why is he saying gospeling? That's not a word. Gospel's a noun. It's not a verb. Um, and I think something that's really cool that I've, I've been able to do is in my undergraduate and some in my graduate, um, I've been able to study Greek and, and dig into that a little bit. Um, so the word for good news or gospel is, is euangelion. That's, that's kind of what the word that's used in, in the Bible and things like that. And and it was traditionally a Roman word. So it started out as, as a word that meant like Caesar has come. It was announcement of Caesar, um, which to the Roman people, you know, is, is great. You know, oh, Caesar's come. We've, we've got our leader back. But to those that weren't inherently Roman, uh, euangelion meant you've been conquered. You, you are now part of the Roman Empire. You don't exist as you were before. You're now one of us. And traditionally, a conquered people loses some freedoms. They're not given, they're not able to exist in the same way that they were before. So this idea of euangelion is a, is a very charged word, a very, very, um, kind of, it's, it's a word with some baggage. But what I think is so cool with, with sort of the New Testament taking over this word and, and reframing it is, is they apply it to Jesus. So now this word that meant the coming of Caesar, that Caesar is conquered, that Rome is here, uh, now changes, and it's talking about the story of Jesus, which is a story not of conquering, of tearing down your enemies, of, of bringing you into a certain way of thinking, but it's a story of freedom. It's a story of release. Um, so it's just a really interesting kind of way of, of subverting what the common culture was using that word for. But I bring this up, and, and in the sense of gospeling and good newsing, because euangelion is a noun. Uh, it, it's, it's a thing, it's something that happens. But here in Luke 4, very end, the, the English talks about, it says, but he said to them, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent for this purpose. Uh, that's the English translation. It's Luke 4:43 in the NRSV. Something is missed there because they throw in that word proclaim, but in the Greek actually, what that word is, is it's just euangelion turned into a verb. So it's this noun, this, this message of, of bringing the good news, um, but, but it's, it's more than just like telling the story, it's, it's the story becoming something. It's, it's an action. And then after that, you see this kind of played out because in the next two chapters, um, Jesus is calling his disciples. He's going and doing, um, but there are, uh, I, I did the counting and I don't, I can't find the exact numbers here, but I believe it's in the next two chapters, there are six instances of Jesus healing someone, of bringing action, of doing something for them. Five instances of Jesus just teaching 
and then there are two or three call stories. So in the next two chapters, action is more prominent than just words. And, and don't get me wrong and, and hear me say, oh, so Jesus went out and he did things and he never spoke. Like, Jesus utilized those action times for teaching. So don't hear me say like, oh, there, it's words are useless, never do words, only do action. That's not the truth. The reality is, is these two go together. And to truly gospel, to truly be gospeling is to go and do. And in the midst of doing, build a relationship, maybe have some speaking, but you have to have both. Um, because there's, there's really nothing wrong with joy that announcing something comes. Uh, there's absolutely nothing wrong with Renique and I being overjoyed at, at my oldest brother's news and, and getting to experience that and see that. But whenever we're talking about this good news of what this story means for, for the world, for the people, it's, it's more. It's more than just talking. It's more than just empty words or empty platitudes that you tell someone about how Jesus loves them and did this for them. It's action. It's actively showing them that Jesus loves them. And I think life and Debellum embodies this really well. I had just started here, and this has really impacted me to this day. We were in a staff meeting um, and just talking about some different things, and, and sometimes we get off on tangents in staff meetings, and it's fun. But Carrie said something about the mission of Lied versus the mission of other places that has stuck to, with me to this day, and I, I, I just can't get it out of my head. Carrie talked about how in a lot of other places, it's Jesus loves you, here's a cup of coffee. Um, and a lot of places do do that. But she said here at Lied, what it is is, here's a cup of coffee because Jesus loves you. And I know it sounds very similar. Um, I know that the two are, are um, you know, a lot of the same words used. They're just a little flipped. Um, but I think so many times we, we get to that first one, Jesus loves you, here's this thing. Jesus loves you, now I serve you. And it, it creates kind of this transactional idea that I think a lot of people have seen and felt and been a little pushed away by. But the beauty of, of kind of how Carrie said it is, is that pause is very important. Because it's in the midst of that pause that you say, here's a cup of coffee, and you wait. And if they walk away, lovely. You served someone, you gave them a cup of coffee. But if they're willing to wait and stay in that pause, if they're willing to engage in a relationship, then from that, you are able to talk about because Jesus loves you. It's relationally focused, not transactionally focused. And I love that about Lied because that's what I've seen in so many places is, is the action comes first. You need both. But if, you're gonna, if, if you can only do one, I think it's a lot better to do the service, to do the action. And, and there's something beautiful about this too because this idea is more than just being words and action, but when we talk about the good news, when we talk about the gospel, that is Jesus. And it's not that like, it's not just a story, but it talks in, in John 1 of the word becoming flesh. 
Jesus truly embodies this. It's more than just something said about him or something we do in Jesus' name, but Jesus truly was the good news itself. And that plays out through Jesus' life. That's the idea of, of embodying this. So the good news is not something that just you, you tell someone and hope that they say a prayer and are changed or, or that you go out and you serve someone in this, but the good news is something that truly envelops you as a person. And I think this is why I, I had such a struggle as I got a little older and, and made my faith my own, uh, is because what I learned about the good news and the gospel was a story I told. But when I studied it for myself, I realized it went beyond just a story. The gospel is a way of life. It's a way of being. It's something that we become, we live into. It's something that we embody ourselves. And I think that's why I like this idea of, of, the, of gospeling, of good newsing, of turning that into a verb and understanding it in that sense. Because just as, as Jesus was the good news embodied, we are called to live like Jesus and to be like Jesus. So we are called to embody that same good news and to truly live it out. It's more than just a story. To truly take the gospel in is to be embodied by it. It's to be changed by it. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we act. It changes both body and mind, words and actions. And that is why it's so much more than just a story. So how do we live this out? What does this look like then? What does it look like when we act out the gospel, when we go out and gospel? As I said earlier, Jesus does some incredible things here. You see going and healing and teaching and taking care of the sick and the poor and the lowly and the down and out. Jesus sees the ways in which people need to be helped and he steps into those ways and brings what's needed for them. And I think we're in a very similar place here. Um, we know in Dallas and, and in Deep Ellum specifically, there's a lot of need. There's a lot of things out there that, that people, people need help around us. So just as Jesus went and helped those in need, we have that same mission and call and purpose. And I know so many of us have an incredible desire to help. We see all these ways that we can do something. We see all the needs that are out there and we say, I want to be a part of the solution. I don't just want to look at something and say, hmm, that should be changed and then walk away and do nothing about it. The whole mission of Light is one of, of being active, of serving in the neighborhood around us. But I think, I know for me personally, I've experienced this idea of analysis paralysis. That there's so many options, there's so many things out there, and it's just, I could do this, or I could do that. I just don't know, and, and what if, does, do, do I support the mission fully of this place? Do I, I, do I, I need to do the research and figure out, is, is the work that I'm involved in, is it, is it good work, or, or, or all these things, and we just, can constantly, constantly research or think and think and never do. And 
I think that's a really, really beautiful thing about Lied, is we make it a little easier on people, that we don't have to be as caught up in that. Um, I was preparing for this, for this sermon this week, and, and, you know, have you ever sat through one of those sermons where it's like, all right, church, we've got to go and do, we've got to go and do the things, and then it ends, and it's expected, okay, go and do, and then everyone sits around and says, I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do, and we're given no direction. But here at Lied, we have some really, really impressive things that we can be a part of. One of those follows the message of Isaiah 61.1 perfectly, where it talks about bringing liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. We work with, with an organization as one of our community partners called Faith in Texas. And one of the incredible things they do, they have the Luke 4.18 bail bond fund. And that's literally just funds that are provided for people in Dallas County jails that maybe don't quite have the money to be able to afford the bail that they need to go out and still be a part of their family's lives, to be a part of the community they're in. So that's what the Luke 418 fund with, with Faith in Texas is all about, is it's about providing these to people that want to go out and, and give back to their communities, take care of their families, be able to work the job that they had, but they just aren't in a place to afford the bail that's set for them. And that's not the only one we work with. That's just one incredible one. Uh, we had Rooted last week, um, and, and I forget this sometimes. I was sitting in there, and we started talking about the values of, of Lied uh, to the, the two people in the Rooted class, and we started talking about community partnerships. And, and I got curious myself about, I hadn't done some research, done some digging. So I went out and I looked and I found, on our website alone, we have nine different community partners listed. You can click on the little picture on our community partner website. It takes you to their website. Of those nine, six of them had places where you could learn more about volunteering and being active. Um, all nine had places that you could go to donate and to give, give resources to because all of these things that we work with need to be funded. So in all of those areas, um, we sit here and we talk about trying to figure out all the places in which we should serve, all the things that we should do. And as Lied, we actively talk about having these partnerships having these places that we can go and work. So there's an incredible resource right there. And you know that if you're working with one of these, that they embody the same principles as Lied, or else they wouldn't be a community partner. Because um, again, I, I've looked, and, and Renique and I have, have worked through who do we give to, what does that look like, what does this money go to, just to, to know that we're supporting the causes we care about. And I think what's beautiful about community partnership is lied is as, as attenders of the church, we have some sort of agreement with, with the values here, and we can trust that the partnerships that are made through lied are, are partnerships that we would follow, that we would, we would be proud to work with as well, because lied is proud to work with them. So there, there is a great starting point, right there on the website can find those nine to be a part of. We have others as well that aren't listed. Faith in Texas wasn't actually listed, so Jenna did me a great service of, of pointing me in their direction as well. The reality is analysis paralysis 
should be a thing of the past. The places are there. The need is apparent. It's time we go out, and let's do some good news in church. Thank you.